Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. In this episode of the Market Dominance, guys, Chris and Corey continue their conversation with Donnie Crawford talking about sales team follow-up and why they don't do it and what you can do to change that bad habit. The first thing they talked about were the three reasons reps don't follow up. We pick up in part of that conversation so it makes sense for the rest of it. And we talk about search and how search and sales are so closely related. Sales and your ability to solve a prospect's problems are no different than Google giving you the right results for what you're looking for. You just have to be able to sift through the junk and know that there's more than the story that's being presented to you. If you were advising somebody else and you were just looking at the business impact, how would you advise them? Oh, I'd have them call. Why? Well, because something good might happen. That's part of the why. But the rest of the why is, guess what? This is somebody that we know something about that's incredibly valuable. This is somebody who answers their phone. (laughs) And the cohort of folks who answer their phone, if we had known in advance they answer the phone without having to call them, we would have just called that list. But we yeah, don't. just that list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, now, but now we know that list. They coughed up that information to yeah. us answering the phone. And we don't know how often they answer the phone, but we know they answered it once, which is a lot more than zero times. So we have our psychology tells us I've been rejected. I don't want to talk to somebody who rejected me. The fact is they made an objection. They didn't care to talk with you. They didn't have time or for whatever reason. And they objected strongly enough that they hung up on you. Yeah. And so if you can take that objection and say, you know, that's fantastic. And this is the key to the psychology. When somebody hangs up on you, non-sarcastically, you need to say to yourself, fantastic. This is somebody that I know answers the phone. (laughs) I'm going to talk to him again, and I'm going to talk to him about a week from now and see how it goes. That's open-minded. And then you put in the teleprompter that thing I just said, which is, you know, when, when we spoke on this date, you didn't have time for a conversation. All the other ones compared to that one psychologically are super easy. Totally. Because you had a further conversation. However, there's another psychology element. And this comes back to don't know how and don't know why, which is when somebody says something to you that is any other objection that is not indicating to you definitely that they're intrinsically disqualified, you should talk to them next quarter. Mm-hmm. Because there's only four possibilities in a sales conversation. Yes, no, not me, not now. And we lump everything about not knowing that some prospect is disqualified into not now. Why? Because until we talk to them, we don't really know anything about them. So we can't talk to them in the past. We must therefore talk to them in the future. And that's the definition of not now. How far in the future? One quarter. Why? 
because the basic unit of time for considering any new category of offering, not your offering, but any new category of offering, is about one quarter. It's happening quarterly. Yeah. Right? yeah. You're going to buy something, you're going to consider it within a quarter. So put it out one quarter, don't think. Put it out there, and that's another thing is don't think. And then write a teleprompter that says, when we spoke on this date, you said whatever, and I'm curious about whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's it. And then you let the conversation flow. So that's a big, you know, a big part of the psychology is you don't want to do what you don't know how to do. And if you don't really know how to do it, you really don't want to do it, especially if your emotions are involved in a negative way. And so you, you, you need a ledge, as Jeb Blunt calls it, an emotional ledge to cling to when the objection comes that feels like rejection. The worst one is the hangout. So your ledge is a word or two that you say to yourself or you say out loud. You don't say it to them. You, they're gone. But you say it out loud. Listen to yourself say it and set the follow-up. So what I say is fantastic. Just exactly like that. That person answers the phone. (laughs) (laughs) That person answers the phone. I'm going to talk to him again next week. Yeah. And that's your ledge. And you need that ledge the same way that you need something to say to yourself. Say you're weightlifting and you know you're to the last rep that you can do before failure. You need to encourage yourself at that point. Absolutely. It doesn't happen by itself. That, That weight doesn't jump up off your chest or you know, wherever you're trying to get it all by itself, this is the one that you're going to have to push. Until then, it's like, eh, no biggie, right? <laughs> and then right when you're one, this is why we have spotters when we lift, because yeah. we might be wrong. Right? Yeah. That's our managers. Error. That's our managers making sure we keep doing it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <they're... laughs> Managers spot this when we drop the weight on our chest and somebody needs to help come get it off. Yeah, yeah. But in general, we should be able to talk to ourselves and get that weight up one more time. Yeah. And you know, we need self-talk and the self-talk needs to be completely routine, said in the right tone of voice, very positive. And by the way, it has to specify why it's positive. Because when we're talking to ourselves, it's just like we're talking to a prospect. If we don't say why, they don't believe us. So if we don't say why to ourselves, we don't believe ourselves. Fantastic. Here's somebody who answers a phone. I'm going <laughs> to talk to him again next time. I love week. that. You're done. So that's kind of it. Now, why do people believe that their follow-ups can be done manually more effectively than connect and sell? They believe it for two reasons. One is they feel like they need to prep for the follow-up. What was the last conversation about? What do I need to think about before I talk to this person? Mm -hmm. They have to ready themselves. And there's some truth to that. But you're going to make a trade-off. And that is, say it took 22 dials on average to get somebody on your list on the phone. Now you've got somebody who answers the phone. So your answers the phone list is now down to are busy or not, right? So they don't always answer the phone. You don't know. So say your new dial to connect for that list is, it takes 12 dials. So now here's the trade-off. If it takes 12 dials, still 12 dials can navigate to failure 11 times. Your mood is going to be pretty poor by the time you finally get somebody. It's still going to be a surprise because you don't expect to talk to them. 
So now you're going to have a different problem, which is your preparation didn't prepare you for anything but leaving a voicemail. And leaving a voicemail is a one-shot thing. You can't leave voicemails over and over and over for somebody just because you had one conversation with them a quarter ago. Right. You didn't earn that, that many voicemails. So you have a, another psychology problem and a performance problem ahead of you if you decide to manually call. You won't be ready for the live conversation when it happens. And that's a serious problem. So what to do about that? Well, take the other side of the bat, which is if I could talk to somebody in my follow-up list, and now it's going to take two minutes instead of four minutes. So that's kind of nice. I get a little reward. It's faster. And I know what to say. It's right there in my teleprompter. All I have to manage is my attitude, my mood. But I always have to manage my attitude in both cases. So instead of peeking for the big conversation, that doesn't happen. The big conversation that doesn't happen. The big conversation that doesn't happen. I don't have to peek at all. I can just relax and know that my teleprompter is going to tell me what to say. And I'm going to say it. Yeah. And that's it. So it's a trade-off. And that trade-off has got to be explicitly made by the rep. So then now I, I know why I shouldn't do it manually because I still have a 1 in 12 chance or a 1 in 8 chance or whatever. And I'm not going to be as good. And by the way, it's going to cost me half an hour. And half an hour is a lot more than two minutes. So what could I have done with those 28 minutes? Well, I could have talked to four more people. Talked to more people, exactly. I could have talked to four more people. Given that sales is search, I have to talk to people. So if I talk to more people per day, that's good. My follow-up list lets me talk to more people per day, which lets me search more of the space for someone who has or might have the problem that my company offers a solution for. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell allows your sales reps to talk to more decision makers in 90 minutes than they would in a week or more of conventional dialing. Your reps can finally be 100% focused on selling since all of their CRM data entry and follow-up scheduling is fully automated within Connect and Sell's powerful platform. Your team's effectiveness will skyrocket by using Connect and Sell's teleprompter capability as they'll know exactly what to say during critical conversations. So come on, give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell. Visit connectandsell.com. <music> listening to the market dominance guys with your host chris beal of connect and sell and Corey frank of uncommon pro so it kind of all comes down to the psychology of the here versus the future i'll call it the ant and the grasshopper Salespeople tend to be grasshoppers they don't do anything for the winter they just eat right now and hope for the best they kind of hope winter's not coming so that's a problem for management how does your compensation help them? How does your talking to them help them? How do you show them data and, and evidence that helps them? And how do you help them hold themselves accountable for doing what they know needs to be done? You know, you'd be on that rowing machine right now, Donnie. If you and I had a relationship where you said, you know, Chris, I want to make sure that I hit this rowing machine every day. Can you help me? And I'd ask you every day, hey, Donnie, got on the rowing machine yet? One or two answers, you know, I haven't, but I'm jumping on. Yes right or now. no. If no, get on it. 
<laughs> yeah, so, well, you know, we can still hold this conference call. We're on yeah. the road. Just get on there. there get on it. I don't think you're going to transmit any viruses. Or anything. Oh, shoot. So yeah. self-accountability is always assisted by other accountability. And we need to manage to that because we know this stuff is hard for these three reasons. Yeah. I don't know how, they don't get the impact, and the psychology works against them. And then there's one more thing, which is everybody loves a cherry on top. Everybody loves the extra, the freebie. But wait, there's more. And here's the more follow-ups. When you talk to somebody, you can actually send them an email that they'll open. You can actually reach yeah. out to them on social and they might accept your invitation. As long as you do it correctly, which is you thank them for the conversation. No matter how the conversation went, they gave you a gift. Yep. And you must acknowledge that gift and do nothing else. Right. So if you acknowledge the gift and sell to them, you're actually violating a social contract and you must not do it. But if you acknowledge the gift and simply thank them and then offer them a gift, maybe a piece of fairly neutral information that's of value that you know about, then, you know, you're approximately balanced. So with regard to social transactions, social exchange theory. So you follow up with an email instead of it being ignored as cold spam. It's an email from someone they just spoke with. And all that email has to say is thanks. Yep. So that's it. That's it. I mean, <laughs> pile up. Now, what do the numbers say? The numbers say that follow-ups outperform cold calls by a factor of something on the order of three. They're easier to reach and they convert to meetings more readily because you have better conversations and because your timing is likely to be better because you can't move into the past, only the future, and all of their purchasing is going to happen in the future. So you're getting closer to the date where they're going to buy. When you started to really think through the market dominance stuff and the making sure you're falling within that cycle, I think that big idea was that is the ultimate reason for following up. I mean, it's, it's completely the, that's the big idea, the important idea to keep in mind. So hopefully I can relate that to them. By the way, on the fantastic piece, yeah. I remember actually doing flight school with them. And on the fourth call, the fourth uh, blitz with all of Kaser, there was one group where we were talking about fantastic. We were talking about that word. Like any objection that comes your way, it's almost like you can just answer fantastic. That's fine. You know, like, great. You know, right. I do like the answer of even people hanging up with you. Fantastic. That person answers their phone. Move on. That's great. I'm going to follow up with that person later. Yeah. There was a rep who used the word fantastic like five to seven times in one call with every single objection he got. It was hilarious. And we even got on, Matt and I heard this guy saying fantastic over and over and over again. And his whole attitude about these calls was just magical. It was just amazing. And it was just because he was treating, he was treating these calls as not as like a scary cold call, but as something that he can learn from and learn how to handle objections and have the right attitude when handling them. It was, it was actually really a beautiful thing. With that's, Kaiser. that's fabulous. I mean, that is, you know, self-talk is funny, right? Cause self-talk, like I'm going to come up with something to say to myself is not effective. 
Yeah. It has to be almost like cursing, right? <laughs> it's like an anti-curse. Yeah, right? it, it is the anti-curse. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we need to have something come out of us, you know, that's kind of oh, like, like cursing comes from a different part of the brain than speaking. It actually is a, it's a completely different part of the brain. It's yeah. not related. It's barely related to speech. Cursing is more closely related to physical action, yeah. like punching the door or something. Totally. Like that. And so and we there's actually a physical that. energy that comes out of it when you curse. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually a psychological it. effect, physical effect to it. <laughs> yeah. Cursing is self talk that allows us to reposition ourselves for action after something went bad. Yeah. And it's important that people do it. It actually is really important. And it lets us know something about how somebody else feels, that they're serious, that this yeah. means something to them. Right? This is the anti-curse. This is saying <laughs> something that. went bad, it, but cursing is a bad idea right now because I need to be in a different psychological yeah. space. So yeah. you need a knee-jerk reaction, a, 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 just an expostulation that allows, and it's said in a positive way, and you need to practice it. One of the beauties of Connect and Sell is you'll get to practice that a yep. bunch of times a day, and yep. you'll get really good at it. That's get a, good at the end. That's a big idea too, Chris. That's a really good idea. That's a, that's a podcast. That. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a podcast. The anti-curse, the, uh, and you have to practice them. <laughs> cursing and anti-cursing, right. We learn yeah. how to curse when we're young. And we become very good at it as teenagers. We practice it. And then as adults, we really, really have got it down. Right? But we don't really learn to anti-curse because, yeah, why, right? We lose, after all, if we do that in public with people that we're trying to get to help us, here's the deep dynamic. When we're young, we're in a power struggle with our parents. We need their help, but we want independence. We have to have independence because we have to become adults someday. So we're doing this really awkward dance with our parents. And that dance involves power. And we have to be careful about not giving up too much power to our parents too early. And parents, this is why it's tiring to be a parent, because you're in a power struggle with your children all the time, no matter whether you think you are or not, because they have to be on an evolutionary journey where they take independence and you lose power. Because at some point you're dead and they're not, and they need to continue to function. Right. Totally. So if you have all the, if you have all the power and they never manage to get the independence, it doesn't work out so well. Right. So there's this journey that we're all on and you would think that we would get to the point where we're no longer fighting everybody around us in order to keep them from having too much power. But in fact, we all do something in order to gain power with others around us the way we used to with our parents. I call it the baby bird syndrome. We open our mouths and show the pink interior and say, feed me. We squat. <laughs> right? So we complain. We complain in order to restore a power relationship that we like, which is our power over our parents by you know, us squawking. And we don't have to do it with our parents. We can do it with strangers. The way this dynamic really, really goes down all the way is in sales, we have a problem. And the problem is we have to be the adult. And most people can't give up the power that comes from not being the adult and having people do things for you because you complain. Those who do, by the way, are master salespeople. The definition or the hallmark of the master salesperson is somebody who is so grown up 
that they have no inclination to complain about bad things that happen hmm. in a failed situation. They have mechanisms that they've adopted. Anti-cursing was one of them in order to maintain their status as the adult in the two-person relationship between seller and buyer. The buyer must never be the adult. The buyer has to complain. And then you're there to provide the solution and the, the guidance and to be the trusted, exactly. the trusted adult and parent to lead them down the right path. Yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. That's interesting. Exactly. So it's totally different from what folks think, which is, if I'm strong, one of the things I get to do is I get to say, hey, that wasn't good enough. You should have done more, whatever it happens to be, right? Mm -hmm. But as the adult with a bunch of kids, that's a ridiculous thing to do, unless you're trying to get them to understand and grow. But in a sales situation, we're not trying to get the other person to grow. Yeah, We're trying to get them to explore with us whether it's wise for us to work together from their special knowledge, which we don't have. We have to have access to their special knowledge about their situation. We have knowledge about our solution. That somehow those could come together in a conversation. We could figure out, oh, yeah, this is something we ought to do. But it doesn't work so well if we can't access their knowledge. And we can't access their knowledge if we're complaining and making them do stuff for us. We're accessing their resources. Well, parent and child relationships are the same way. A lot of times the child's not going to open up, not going to provide the information until the parent, they realize the parent is really there for their, for their safety and their guidance and their, um, they can trust them and they can, they're not just going to spew out like feature function <laughs> to their kids. They're going to, to listen and understand and be honest with whether it, their advice or their product or their, you know, solution is going to even be valid in a situation or not. You have to be willing to say, yeah, we don't apply to you at right now at this time. I can't give you advice right now at this time because it doesn't make sense for you. But in four months, it may. In four yeah, months. You exactly. Because exactly. I can see your revolution from my experience. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So I think what we tend to do is simply play these, you know, we play these old scenarios out depending on our level of maturity and in sales learning how to act more mature than you are is a key to making progress it's interesting and therefore having words that you can say to yourself that cause you or help you act more mature than you are is very useful yeah when i was 19 or 20 i was on my mission me and my companions were all trying to be really good, like really good people. Like, I mean, just, I've never tried harder to be as good of a person as I could possibly be than I was in those two years when I was on my mission. And there was a, a companion of mine who lived a very colorful life before joining, you know, to be going on a mission. And he was a bodybuilder. He lifted weights even on his mission. And it was hilarious him trying to be good. The time I knew he was really, really trying was when he dropped free weights onto his foot and he yelled, yes, yes. And he just was screaming at this. Like his cuss word was a positive, right? Yes. It, it, yes. Was, it was an ant. It was, it was exactly the anti curse that was like, and it filled him with like endorphins. And it took the pain away, actually. But it was it's a perfect example of the fantastic. That guy answers the phone. <laughs> it was, it I was, love it. I love it. Well, this is the essence of the whole thing. And I think we got to it here in 
this stuff about follow-ups because the essence is the hardest stuff, which is deciding to overcome our own mm-hmm. emotional, our need for emotional distance and, and retreat uh, when, when we feel rejected. That's the hardest part of sales. That's why Jeb Blunt wrote a whole book about it. Right? So the hardest part is where we need the most help. Mm-hmm. And we need the help from others and each other and ourselves, I mean, others and ourselves. And we, we got to have a, something that we do when it gets hard. Yeah. And, and that's going to be talking to ourselves. And we better say the same thing every time with the same tone of voice. I like it. I'm absolutely going to use fantastic. This person answers the phone for this. I will incorporate that. So. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.